What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Coming up on episode 328 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the BMW X5, E-Drive 50, Toyota Sequoia, and Honda Civic. Uh, Also, uh, Jamie Kipman takes a look at the Fisker Ocean. EV sales, contrary to popular uh, opinion in the media, are not collapsing. Uh, Stellantis is going to partner with Ample to test out battery swapping on upcoming EVs. The end of the road for the Chrysler 300. Uh, Toyota is using service solutions to help with its battery recycling. Honda is teasing new EVs that are going to show up next month at CES. There's a new Chevy Bolt coming in 2025. We talk about the Platicy, and uh, BMW or Tanya tells us about her visit to BMW's Silicon Valley Tech Center. And I also have a conversation with Derek Sequera from GM Energy to talk about charging. All that and more coming up next. <laughs> This is episode 328 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samad from Guidehouse Insights. I am Roberto Baldwin from uh, SAE International. I couldn't remember where I was from for a second there. <laughs> I'm just going to say it's still new enough that you can't remember where you where you were. That's like that's where, good where thing. am I? You're in the honeymoon period. The honeymoon period is good. Don't don't give that up. Uh, this is Tanya <laughs> Gastic from Media Post and a variety of freelance publications. And thank you for joining us again this week, Tanya. Um, why don't we start with you, uh, since you're our, our guest host this week. Um, what have you been driving? Well, I just picked up late Friday night, so I have not been in it for very long. But I picked up a Toyota Sequoia, all-wheel, our four-wheel drive uh, hybrid platinum version. And the thing is basically a beast. It barely fits in my driveway. I have an old school driveway, and I, I really have to be careful not to hit the side of the two houses. It's it's that big. Ooh. And um, yeah, I mean it's it's a great vehicle. But you know, my first thing that I was thinking was, how is this different than the Grand Highlander? I mean, how do they not cap you know cannibalize each it's, other? It's, it's less fuel efficient, and um, I think has Actually, less less space for for passengers. Actually, every every Toyota SUV is like two inches bigger than the previous or or <laughs> SUV. They're all two inches. There's two inch increments. 
the the fuel efficiency is actually very similar to the Grand Highlander. So that's that's uh, uh that's, uh, this I don't is know about that. 19 city 22 highway for an average of 20 the grand highlander is 21 city so it's it's a couple uh, that is that with the the hybrid max yeah okay. yeah so it's not that much different here's the point of distinction it's the toy towing capacity so this thing tows i don't know like 9000 pounds the grand highlander only tows 5000 so if you've got a gigantic boat uh, then you want to get the, the sequoia hello boat Big boat, big, big RV, you know, big things to tow. Then you get the Sequoia. Well, it's a beautiful vehicle. It's very luxurious inside. It's probably a little more upscale feeling than the, than the Grand Highlander, which seems more more family friendly. Well, especially in the platinum version. But the other yeah. thing, too, is I think, you know, there's probably more of a difference between real world fuel efficiency with the Grand Highlander and the uh, and the, the Sequoia than the EPA labels might imply. Because usually the my experience with the Sequoia and the Tundra uh with that hybrid system that they have on there, not it's generally not any better in fuel economy than the uh than the straight gas version. Ah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't driven it enough to really have a good assessment of of the of the fuel economy. But uh hopefully this afternoon I'll be going somewhere and I can hmm. I can report back next week if I'm on again. You could tow a house. I could tow or, my house. My house is small enough that I probably could hit, pick it up and, and take it down the street if I wanted to. But the price, I, again, that's another point of distinction. The price on this is much higher than the Grand Hybrid or Grand Highlander. Excuse me. Do you want to guess what this one is? Uh, you get the Platinum. I'm going to yep. say $80,000. 87. 82. Oh, that's close. So I think you would have won prices right. Yep. Yeah, we go by prices right rules here, uh, yeah. Tanya. Sam, so Sam wins. Cl- closest without going over. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Cool. <laughs> She's like, oh, man. Why did I, why did I say I'd do this? <laughs> no, I know what prices price right rules are. I grew up watching the show. I totally understand what that do, means. Do, do, you, do you also subscribe to the TPIR, TPIR cars? account on instagram yes i do that for for those for those that don't know tpir cars is an account that posts uh clips from um prices right um segments where they have cars that they're giving away um on instagram and you know so you have you know so they'll show they'll do screenshots and occasionally have some video clips on there and they actually just had one um from the other day, you know, most, most people are familiar with the modern iteration of the price is right. That was hosted for millennia by Bob Barker. Um, and, and now, uh, Drew Carey, but, um, uh, the original version from the, I guess from the early sixties, late fifties, early sixties in black and white, the format was a little bit different. Um, and they, they posted, I saw one, a clip yesterday that was from a, about I want to say like 1961 or something. They had a Chrysler 300G convertible uh, on there. And, 1961 Chrysler 300G. Oh, I, I got it right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, you know it, if if you if you like seeing some of the the interesting cars that yeah that um, Price is Right has given away over the years. You know they've got everything from Pintos and Vegas. You know to 
uh, Trans Ams and Corvettes and um, and and some imports as well. You know, Toyotas. It's it's a fun it's a fun account to follow. I love a new car. car. It's yeah. it's an awesome account. TPI Cars. Anyway, I don't even know where to... my phone's at. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where I put my phone or it. Oh wait, I have, I have an iPad. I can just, just subscribe to it right now. All right, you guys keep talking. <laughs> back, back to your. It's TPIR cars. Um. Anyway, uh, Tanya, back to the Sequoia. After yes. that little divergence. Yes. Um. Anything else? I mean, you, you've you've only had it for you know for a day or so. Uh, anything else uh, about it, you know, that uh, you want to talk about? Well, I was pleasantly surprised with the wireless Apple CarPlay. That's still always a surprise and delight feature after having been in so many cars that don't have it. And yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, the screen is gigantic. It's it feels huge to me. I'm not sure if it even needs to be that big. How big is it? It's a 14 inch audio. And I guess 14 inch isn't that big, really, but it feels really big. I was just in a car this week that has a 17.7 yeah. inch display. Yeah, I was going to say 14 is really nothing. What did I drive last week? I had a Civic last week. So the Civic had that little tiny screen. So compared to the Honda Civic, this is like, I mean, I love that car, though. I've just, I have to say, I didn't get to talk about it last week because, again, I'd only been in it for a day or two, but that turned out to be a really wonderful driving experience. And I would highly, highly recommend anybody uh, looking for a, a very um, well-equipped, comfortable, fairly inexpensive car to consider the Honda Civic. And did you have the okay. sedan or the, the hatchback? I had the sedan. Okay. That's I think almost... the hatchback is a better, better option. I, you know, obviously. Hatchback's always a better option. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and especially on this, this current generation, because yeah, unlike the the previous generation, which is what my wife and I have, um, you know, the the hatchback was a little more distinct from the sedan in its shape. The current one, they're basically they basically have identical profiles on the sedan and the hatchback, except you know one has you know a much larger opening in the back if you need to put big stuff in in the back, you know, fold down the back seats, as opposed to the little tiny opening that you have with the sedan. Yeah. Yeah, this was a great car and it's uh loaded. The one I had was a touring 40 touring 1.5 40 touring um fully loaded 319. That's not bad. No, it had everything. It literally yeah. had everything you could want in a car. So and and I think Civics still start somewhere in the low twenties, like right around twenty-three or so, I think. Yeah, I mean that's you can't find that with very many vehicles. And you know, the thing is they don't they don't strip them. A lot of you you see base prices like that on other manufacturers, and it's like, well, what does it have? Uh you get a package for the steering wheel. No, almost. Yeah. You get some vice grips that you just attach to the steering column and you just kind of <laughs> put the vice grips back and forth. I mean, this had everything, leather trimmed seats, leather wrapped steering wheel, you know, all, all the fancy stuff that you get in a higher end car for thirty one nine. So, yeah, the 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 LX, the base LX model starts at twenty three nine fifty, and that you know still has um, you know CarPlay and Android Auto capability, you know with the touchscreen. Um, it it does have the the less powerful two liter four cylinder, um, that the turbo the one point five liter turbo is a nice engine. Yeah, that's what it we have. One hundred eighty. It has one hundred eighty horsepower, but it felt mm -hmm. very adequate, very yeah. very. 
but you can't really go by the horsepower numbers. I think the, the weight of the vehicle can make a huge difference there. Oh yeah. And Hondas have always, you know, been fairly modest in terms of weight, especially cars like the Civic and the, the Accord. They're, they're generally on the, the lower end weight wise. So. Right. Right. All right. Cool. Robbie, what about you? Did you get to drive anything I, this week? Finally, I did not drive anything this week. I'm uh, I'm still. I know I didn't send. I I've been so busy at work, and so I didn't send them an email that said, "Hey, I need all these cars." <laughs> <laughs> and I keep like like oh, I got to send that email. Uh, I really got to send that email. <sighs> I should really send that email. So I have not had a car in like two weeks, maybe three at this uh-huh. point. Um, and so yeah, I really need to get on it because <laughs> I'm all really right. far behind. <laughs> All right. Well, I had um, the BMW X5 E-Drive 50, which is the latest iteration of the X5. And in in BMW's nomenclature, E-Drive means that it's got electric drive. So it's it's a plug-in hybrid um, in this case. It's not uh, full battery electric. Um, and for 2024, um, the, the, the plug-in hybrid version of the X5 and I think a couple of other models got some upgrades. Uh, to the powertrain, uh, so they got a mo- it's got a more powerful electric motor than it had before, um, and a significantly larger battery. I uh, believe it used to be about a 17 kilowatt hour battery pack, 16 or 17 kilowatt hour battery pack. Um, so now uh, you've got you still have the three liter twin turbo inline six cylinder, which is as always BMW's six cylinder engines are just amazing. 308 horsepower from the from the the internal combustion, but it's now got 194 horsepower from the electric motor and 280 pounds feet of torque. Um, wow. So that combines to get you 483 horsepower and 516 foot pounds of torque um, when you're in hybrid mode. So when you've got both the engine and the electric motor going, this thing's got some serious get up and go. I mean that's approaching where the original BMW X5M was a decade ago. Um, I think I think that one was close to 600. Uh, but, you know, you get, you're up to almost 500 horsepower now from a plug-in hybrid. And the battery pack in this thing now is up to, to the, the total pack size is 29.5 kilowatt hours, of which 25.7 kilowatt hours is useful, uh, usable. And I think uh, before, like I said, I think it was about 17 uh, before. So it, it it used to have like mid-20s, uh, low to mid-20s uh, mileage on a, on a charge. I did my usual drive loop last week with, uh, with the X5. And in a mix of some highway driving, some urban, suburban driving, stop and go, it went 45 miles before the engine finally kicked on and it went into hybrid mode. Um, and it's rated at 38 or 39, um, 30, 39. So TPA rated at 39 miles of electric range. I got 45 out of it. And that was on a relatively cold day with the heater going. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, electric heat in this case. Uh, so, you know, not even ideal conditions. So, you know, if you if you had one of these or anything else, you know, from BMW with this powertrain, you for almost everybody, you could do you know literally all of your almost all of your daily driving without using 
excuse me, without using any gas. Um, and then, you know, in hybrid mode, it's rated at 58 miles per gallon equivalent, uh, which is also pretty impressive. Gas only, it's it's 22. So the combined rating um, of plug-in hybrid, you know, of electric and, and hybrid, you know, and they've got a formula that um, estimates, you know, based on uh, modeling of how people actually drive. They figure, you know, the average person will get about 58 MPGE combined between electric and gas. And then 22, you know, the, the X5 is a pretty big, pretty hefty, um, you know, mid midsize SUV. Um, you know, and to get to get 22 out of that in um, in in hybrid mode with with the engine running is actually pretty good. It's it's better than I would expect. Um, the uh, uh, the 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 X5 PHEV is is not inexpensive though. Yeah, it, it's a BMW, so it's it's fairly pricey. Um, the starting price for this one is seventy two thousand five hundred dollars. Um, the one I drove had the driving <laughs> assist pro package, the M Sport package, the M Sport professional package, the parking assist package, the executive package, uh, which gives you glass controls on you know on the for the iDrive knob and and assorted other things, the Harman Kardon sound system, uh, the climate comfort package with front and rear heated seats, uh, the M Sport package pro. Yeah, okay, I, I already said that um, up above. Um, that gets you red brake calipers, M Sport brake calipers, because you know that'll that'll make you stop at least three or four inches slower or quicker. Um, you know, and, and this is a they don't really, heat up because they're not black. That's right. That's true. So they radiate <laughs> the heat right. off a little bit better. Um, so yep. all in, this came to eighty seven thousand seven hundred and forty five dollars. Um, which nothing. You know, that's nothing. This is not it's inexpensive. A C level executive. <laughs> yeah. For, I mean, you know, for for a loaded, you know, fairly well loaded BMW, you know, it's it's not crazy, but you know, it's it's a it's an it's not an inexpensive vehicle, um, but you know, it feels you know very premium. Uh, the seats in this thing um, that that you get with it are really nice, really comfortable. Um, when you uh, you can when you put it in sport mode, the the side bolsters automatically tighten up a little bit to hold you in place a little bit better. Um, got uh, you know heating and ventilation of the seats. Uh, the uh, uh, the instrument cluster display you know is now the the same thing that you find on all the latest BMWs with one huge uh, slab of curved glass. Uh, there's actually two separate displays behind it, one for the instrument cluster, one for the infotainment system. It's got the latest iDrive 8.5 system on there, which changes up the interface a little bit so you can get the um, the map display um, to to the right, uh, taking up about three quarters of the display and then uh, a column of widgets that you can scroll through on the on the left uh, to get things like your media player and, and other stuff. It also has support for wireless Android Auto and, and Apple CarPlay uh, in there. Um, and so essentially, you know, this, if, if you're looking for a luxury two-row SUV that gets really good uh, fuel economy for, particularly given the performance, you know, that 483 horsepower, 
You know, when you stand on this thing, it goes. I mean, it, it is really quick. But even when you're in electric mode, um, with just the 190 horsepower, it still has more or 194 horsepower. It still has more than enough performance for, you know, for daily driving. You know, you can easily accelerate up to merge with traffic, you know, getting on the highway. Um, as I said, you know, I, I did a bunch of highway driving with it as well as a bunch of city driving and had no problem at all running, uh, running on electric alone. Um, you know, I drove it to a meeting Monday morning in, in Detroit, uh, and that's about 35 miles away. And it still had, um, enough electricity afterwards that I was almost able to get back to, um, back to, uh, Detroit Metro airport from downtown Detroit, uh, before it finally kicked into hybrid mode. So, you know, if you're, if you're looking for some, for a luxury two row SUV that is most, that can be mostly electric, you know, for most of the vast majority of your driving, um, this is definitely one worth taking a look at. Um, you want to take a guess at the destination charge? Oh, 1300. No, wait, 1295. <laughs> Tanya, you want to guess? Uh, say a dollar. <laughs> I'm going to say 995. Oh, you win both showcases. This is exactly $995. Oh, you get both the cars wow. and the jet skis and the washer dryer combo. Yeah. That hardly, that hardly seems fair because I was just at Test Fest driving BMW. So I was staring oh, at it's fine. ponies for, for like four days. <laughs> but, I, uh, I, I probably would have been staring at them only five minutes ago and I still wouldn't have remembered. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, this and this is one of those, um, you know, things that seems a little odd that. Um, you know, for a vehicle this expensive that the, you know, the, the destination charge would be so low because, you know, we talk about things like F-150s and, and Rams, you know, they're charging now charging $2,000 for destination charges. And, you know, basically it comes down to, you know, the premium brand vehicles, they're not trying to hide the price. They're just putting it right in the sticker. And, you know, instead of inflating the destination charge, um, you know, they're, and you know, where, where you don't see it in the advertised price, they're just putting it right up front. So this is, this is what we're going to charge you. And, and that's that. Um, so it's, it's definitely, um, you know, not a, not a bad deal. Plus, you know, these things are built in Spartanburg. So, you know, it's all coming from South Carolina instead that of Germany. A big difference. That makes a huge difference. Yeah. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Did you know you can support wheel bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Um, all right, let's move on to some of the stuff that uh, was happening this week. Um, first, first off, have either of you had a chance to drive the Fisker Ocean yet? No. Sadly, no. Yeah, neither have I. 
but Jamie Kipman got to drive one. Um, and, um, he, uh, wrote his review for road and track and, um, Ooh, I'll bet Fisker wishes that they hadn't given him that chance to yeah. try after reading this review. Yeah, it was not good. Um, you know, it essentially Jamie's, uh, the bottom line is Jamie doesn't think this thing's ready for prime time. It's not, not ready for, for customers. Uh, he felt, he said, you know, a lot of the interior felt really cheap, which, uh, excuse me, which surprises me because most of the engineering on this was done by Magna, uh, you know, and they, and they manufacture it. Magna steer manufactures these things in Austria. And, you know, I, I would have thought that they, you know, would have done a more robust job on a lot of this stuff. But you know, it, it's hard to say what the what the working relationship is between uh, Magna Steer and their uh, their client companies uh, like Fisker, um, and and who makes the ultimately makes the decisions on a lot of this stuff. But it sounds like you know for the uh, Ocean Extreme that um, that Jamie was driving, uh, you know, which is what I think almost seventy thousand dollars. Um, sixty-one yeah. four nine nine. Oh, okay. Six, oh, sorry. Okay. Really, really not. Th- I mean, I mean, it's a lot, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's you know, it it doesn't. It's, apparently, it doesn't feel nearly as premium as that price would imply. So uh, I'm going to be the devil's advocate and say, if you that that vehicle that he drove was it was a lot, but if you look at the other oceans, like the Ocean Sport, it it starts at thirty-eight nine. So. And it shares probably a lot of the same parts with mm-hmm. with the one he drove. So if you're going to try to keep your prices down like that, you've got to you've got to sacrifice something somewhere. Yeah, but I mean, even you know, on a lot of other cars, you know, where there are more premium trim levels, you usually you know that's reflected in in the way they finish the interior, for example. And it sounds like that wasn't the case here. They you know, they, the, the least expensive trim level and threw it in all just put a, a bigger battery and an extra motor in there. Yeah, and, and and some options, um, but you know, even the you know the the ultra uh, is priced at fifty two nine ninety nine. Yeah, that that Ocean Sport um, only has a range of two hundred thirty one miles. It's a single motor front wheel drive, and has a lithium iron phosphate battery, so it's only rated at two hundred thirty miles uh, versus uh, you know three hundred fifty uh, rating for the extreme. Um, so. You know that's it. It, so, it sounds like Fisker's got more work to do, and you know they've had some challenges in recent weeks. They've been cutting back. They've cut back the number of vehicles they're planning to build this year. Um, you know, in order apparently in order to save save cash, because you know when they when they build when they build the vehicles, they got to pay for the parts, um, and apparently they need to conserve what cash they have left. Uh, to develop their next generation of vehicles, the pair and uh, and other stuff. <laughs> there are some interesting things on this. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, the uh, uh, the big screen. It's got this seventeen uh, inch screen inside. Um, that when you're driving it, and when they first showed off the uh, the ocean in production form a couple of years ago at the LA Auto Show, um, I got to walk around with uh, with Henrik on this. So in when you're driving, the screen is in portrait mode. But then when you park the car, you can put it into what they call Hollywood mode. 
and the screen rotates 90 degrees. So when you're sitting there at a charger, for example, waiting to uh, waiting for the battery to charge, you can put it in Hollywood mode uh, and then use that full screen in, in landscape mode to um, to watch movies, you know, or watch Netflix, whatever, whatever you want on the screen. Um, but, you know, um, even with that, you know, Jamie still felt that, you know, cars like the, the uh, you know, at the uh, even even cheaper cars than this feel a lot better, feel a lot more premium, like the Hyundai Kona, uh, the Ionic 5N and the Genesis GV70. Um, and so it's it's going to be uh, going to be tough going for Fisker, I think. Well, it's one review. I mean, yeah. we'll see what others think. He he may have been having a bad bad week. Who knows? Or bad day. I think he's he got it for an hour. That's the other thing. I mean, can you really assess a vehicle? I mean, you can, but an hour is not a lot of time. Yeah, I, I, he he drove it during the World Car of the Year drive program in LA. I would I would hesitate to write a full review after just an hour, but that's just me. True, but you know, I mean, even even in in just a few minutes in the car, you can. You can certainly get a feel for if the materials and everything feel cheap and if it feels hollow versus, you know, how reliable it is. And he didn't talk to, you know, reliability or anything like that. You know, it was just about, you know, at this price point, how does this car feel? And it sounds like it doesn't feel very premium. Well, making cars is hard. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, my, my takeaway. Making one car is like impossible. Making a lot of cars. <laughs> um, another thing, you know, sticking with EVs. Um, so recently there's been a lot of stuff in the media about, you know, EV sales collapsing, you know, Americans don't want EVs. Um, and uh, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with journalists over the past month or two. About oh, we guys. It's just a, it's it's tiresome. <laughs> it is so tiresome, um, you know, because the reality is, you know, I, I pulled up sales data um, for for the U.S. Uh, for the last three years, and you know, because you know, we've heard over the last few months, you know, Ford, you know, pulling back on some of their investments, EV investments, slowing down, you know, the timing for when they're gonna open one of their battery plants, cutting back the plants for another battery plant and, and how many EVs they want to build. Same thing at GM. And the reality is that it's more of a Ford and GM problem than it is an industry problem. 100%. Yeah. Exactly that. Because so far um, through uh, the end of November now, um, we uh, the Americans have bought almost 1.1 million electric battery electric vehicles, which is the first time ever that we sold over a million EVs in the United States. Um, in 2022, in the full 12 months, it was 803,000. So we're, we're on pace for selling about 100,000 EVs a month right now in the U.S. So we should be at about close to 1.2 million uh, for end of year. 800,000 last year, 500,000 in 2021. Um, you know, we're up to 7.4% market share for EVs. And it was 5.6 last year, 3.2% in uh in 2021. So EV sales are up for almost everybody. 
Um, but, uh, um, you know, Tesla, you know, is still the number one purveyor of EVs in the U.S., although their market share has dropped significantly for EVs. You know, their share of the U.S. EV market has dropped significantly. Their their sales are up this year, mostly because they slashed prices on the Model 3 and the and the Model Y and the S and the X. Um, but their uh, Tesla's share of the U.S. EV market has gone from 72.5% in 2021 to 65% last year, and it's down to 56.5% so far uh, in 2023. Um, Meanwhile, um, let's see, uh, Hyundai Motor Group, so Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis are up to 7.8% now. They're number two in terms of EV sales um, in in the U.S. Volkswagen's at almost 6%. Um, and, um, uh, of, of the, of the EV market, um, and, um, other, you know, e- even GM, uh, let me find GM here on my, on my chart. Uh, even GM is at 6.4%. Um, and Ford is, uh, just shy of 6%, 5.8%. So, yeah, the, the panic about EV sales is more about the fact that I think Ford and GM maybe not got the right mix of EVs, you know, they're, and some of their prices are a little bit too high, especially for GM. Um, you know, they're, you know, the only, the, the vehicles, the, the EVs that GM is actually selling in significant quantities are Chevy Bolts. The Bolts <laughs> are killing it. Yeah. What are we, we we're like 76,000 so far this year? Something uh, crazy. 70 Let's see bolts and bolts. They need to EV. kill more vehicles if they're going to get sales like this, you know. Yeah, they need to, they need to, they, this this thing sound like crazy. Let's stop making it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so far this year 22,000 bolt EVs and 36,000 bolt EUVs. So uh 50 uh 58 uh, about almost 59,000 uh bolts combined so far, which is like double their, you know, previous best. Yeah. And so, of course, they're going to stop building them in about two weeks. So, if you want one, you better go get it now. Yeah, go get a bolt. Or wait till twenty twenty five. And get a more expensive bolt. Um, I don't know that the that twenty twenty five bolt will be more expensive. Uh, is there I, mean, use the I mean, I'm I'm I am only uh, I am I am basing this upon um, the fact that everything uh, GM and Ford has said about pricing has been incorrect. <laughs> That's true. They always come out. They're like, "Yeah, it's going to be thirty. Uh, we meant thirty-five. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be forty. We meant fifty. Oh, it's going to be." Yeah, and, and there's a lot and, of psych going on over at GM and Ford. And, when it comes and, to and next EV week, we'll, pricing. Next week, we'll talk about the uh, the Chevy Blazer EV. Um, oh, got, I, yeah. I drove that this week, and I but I can't uh, talk about that till next week. Uh, so, next week's show, tune in for uh, the Blazer EV. Um, Blazer, but. Um, you know, the, but unfortunately, though, for GM, the rest of the stuff that they're selling uh, has been in tiny volumes. Like uh, so far, the Blazer EV through November, uh, they shipped 370. Um, and uh, let's see, 267 Silverado EVs. You know, the Silverado was supposed to be their their big winner. That You know, this, is, this was going to be the vehicle that propelled them into the lead of of EV manufacturing. The reason why they're killing the bolt right now is because they wanted to retool that factory to, uh, to build more Silverados and Sierras. Uh, so far they've sold 267. 
um, and uh, 450, um, 450 of the bright drop electric delivery vans. Uh, and let's see, a thousand Hummer SUVs, um, and 1500, um, of the, uh, uh, Hummer pickups. Uh, but they did sell 7,200 Cadillac lyrics. So they're, that's good. They're, the they're finally, good car. yeah, like they're the finally lyric. getting some traction on the lyric. Well, I'm, I they I feel like they you know they they say that there's there's an issue with the automation and the battery building which I which to me goes back to there's an issue with some of the engineering with the battery that the automation isn't working on it correctly so hopefully they've solved that issue and they can start building these vehicles at like scale. Um, the Lyric's a good car. I like the Lyric. Yeah. yeah meanwhile, Hyundai Motor Group has sold uh, eighty four thousand EVs, and all of the- yeah. Almost all of those, you know, are coming from Korea, so they they haven't even been eligible for tax credits this year. Unless you um, lease them. Unless, unless you, you lease them. them. Yeah. Um, next year, um, they'll they'll start building more of those here in the U.S. The, the Kia EV9 is going to be built in Georgia starting ne- middle of next year, uh, and uh, um, so there's 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 more more stuff coming. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this has really been you know more a story of a couple of brands than the EV industry as a whole. You know, people yeah. actually are are buying EVs when they can get them and when they're affordable. You know, if you if you make them cheap enough, yeah. people will buy them. That's true. That's yeah. true. Look at the Bolt. Yeah, number one selling car. That's not a Tesla. That's an EV. Right. And you know, I, I mentioned you know the overall market share for EVs right now is seven point four seven point five percent in the U.S. But uh, for premium brand for some of the premium brands like BMW and Volvo. They're like twelve and a half percent of their uh, sales are battery electric, and another seven and a half percent are uh, plug-in hybrids. So you know they're they're doing all right. I see so many i fours because when you really it's a, it's a pretty good price point. Mm-hmm. It's a great car, and you're just like I just want a car that's a BMW. I don't want to look like a space car. I don't want. <laughs> I just want a car that's a BMW that happens to be an EV. And yeah. uh, like a bunch of my friends bought i4s. Yeah. No. Apparently my friends are doing better than me. They didn't become writers is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so have have um, have either of you ever heard of uh, Ample, a company called Ample? I've talked to them multiple times, shot videos. So, yeah, I know Ample. <laughs> so Am- Ample is an interesting company. You know, they're – they're uh, they're into battery swapping for EVs, and and the whole concept of battery swapping is a really interesting one. Yeah, it's it's not a new idea. Uh, I mean, you know, we used to be able to do it with our phones and our computers, but you know, now yep. they're sealed in. Um, but um, you know, Ample wants to uh, bring back battery swapping. Bat- you know, the first company to to try EV battery swapping was a comp- a startup called Better Place uh, back in two thousand seven. And they were an Israeli startup, and they they built a network of swap stations in Israel. And they were supposed to do some in the Netherlands and in Hawaii and I think in Oregon. Um, and they were working with Renault. Uh, Renault did a version of one of their car or one of their EVs with a swappable battery. Um, well, Better Place went bankrupt in 2013. Um, they went on to a better place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then uh, Tesla came along. And they said, yeah, we can swap batteries in the Model S and the Model X. And they built one battery swap station. 
and they may or may not have done a handful of swaps there. Uh, but they did get a whole bunch of extra Zev credits from the state of California that they could sell for millions of dollars. So there's that. Um, the, <laughs> so they got that going for them, so, which is so nice. The, the only company that's actually had some real success with uh, battery swapping is Neo, a Chinese EV manufacturer that now has almost 2,000 swap stations across China. And they've done something on the order of about 50 million swaps. But the thing with Neo. And, and all these others so far is all of these companies have had, you know, one or a few vehicles that all use the same battery pack. And, you know, they all swap out the entire battery pack. Um, but because every manufacturer uses different battery packs, different battery chemistries for, for all their different vehicles or most of their vehicles, and there's no standardization across the industry, um, you know, it makes it hard to the the economics of battery swapping are are tough. So Ample came up with a different approach. Instead of swapping the entire battery, they just swap modules. So just a, a subset of the battery, which is basically smaller batteries within a bigger battery pack. And um, you know what they came up with was a design where they use a standardized module that can be used across multiple vehicles. And then they design a pack enclosure specific to a vehicle that can hold their standard modules. And so I guess their, their first pilot that they did was um, in, in San Francisco um, with a fleet of Nissan Leafs that were running on a ride hailing platform. And they built custom battery packs for these and have standardized modules. And because the modules are smaller and lighter than a full battery pack, the hardware to do the robotic swapping is a lot simpler and easier to install. And now this week, Stellantis announced that they're going to work with Ample um, to uh, to adopt to to try out their their bat their module swapping system um, starting next year with a fleet of 500 Fiat 500Es in Madrid um, that are part of the car sharing program Free to Move. Um, what do you what do you think about swapping batteries as opposed to charging your EV? For you know, their their main when I I've talked to them a few times and it's it a lot of it is the you know they're starting they're looking at fleets because fleets mm -hmm. make sense to them because fleets is like okay we can't you know you you need this truck to keep going and let's say you have a hundred trucks are you going to put a hundred charging stations in your you know your drive you know your your garage at night or you can just have them run until you need to swap them and so that makes it makes sense in, in that sense and then also that they're uh, their actual swapping stations, they can, they can, they're, they're almost, they're, they're, they're like Ikea's. They're like, <laughs> like flat packed and they just take it somewhere. And as long as you have a slab of concrete and some electricity, you can set it up in a few days is sort of their, 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 uh, their selling point. Um, of course, once you set it up, you know, you probably have to, uh, you know, adjust everything to make it so it works correctly. Um, but yeah, they just like slap it down, bring <laughs> it up. And it lifts your car up and then, you know, everything goes underneath. So it's not, uh, you know, they don't have to build a whole building. Um, when you put the, when you drive the vehicle into the station, it actually lifts the car up and then it swaps the battery underneath. It's like um, getting an oil change, basically. Yeah, like, yeah. Pretty much. Like, yeah. like an oil change except with the little elevator. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're, you know, they're working with Mitsubishi Fuso, which, you know, it's, it's which is actually part of Daimler. It's, it's confusing. Don't, don't think about it too hard. Um but yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I talked to them, and uh, I, I see the the benefits for it for fleets. 
Um, for the average person, I still think it's probably pretty, I mean, especially if you could charge at home. Um, but if there are people who are like, you know what, I, I, I live in a, in a, in a home that I can't charge at home for whatever reason. I don't have a driveway. I don't, have a, uh, I don't have a garage. I don't want to deal with the infrastructure. Um, maybe I could just get a car that, uh, that, you know, and these vehicles have to be built for this that, you know, you can't just go out and buy like an I4 and then take it to Ample and they'll swap it out for you. These have to be, these are purpose built, built vehicles. So, you know, they need that, that deal with Stellantis. So Stellantis and that, they and Stellantis like team up to, to build these specially uh, outfitted 500Es. Yeah. And, you know, one of, one of the challenges um, with their approach, you know, with, if, if you're, if you have a, if you've designed a battery pack specific to a vehicle, you know, you can really optimize the packaging to get as many cells within that pack as you can get the maximum amount of, of um, energy capacity in there. But, you know, if you're going to use a standardized module format, depending on the size of the vehicle and how the, the pack fits in there, you, you know, you may not be, because, you know, the, these things are I don't know, probably about 18 by 12 inches, roughly, you know, maybe six inches thick. Uh, and, uh, you know, so depending on how they fit in, you know, if you, you imagine, you know, if you, if you have a, a, a box, and then you're putting some blocks in there, you know, and the blocks are all the same size, but they don't, it's the, the interior of the box is not a perfect, uh, a perfect multiple of that block size. You know, so if it's, if it's maybe three and a half blocks across, um, you know, instead of four blocks, then you might have some empty space, some wasted space. So depending on, the yeah. particular vehicle. You, I mean, you could you could get it like let's say the 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 regular vehicle gets three hundred miles. The ample version of the vehicle will get two fifty. Yeah. So you might lose a little bit of range, but um, you know, depending on the use case, like you know, in this case with Stellantis, they're doing car sharing. You know, so these are Fiat five hundred Ds for a car sharing program. That you know, these are you know short term rentals that people drive around town. You know, if they don't own a car, they can you know use the app, rent one of these. You know to drive to Ikea to, to pick something up uh, and then drive home, you know, drop it off. Uh, so they're, they're not doing long road trips with these things. So the range is not so much of a problem. And, you know, uh, with, with gas powered cars and car sharing services, you know, the staff of the car sharing service can, you know, when the car is getting low, they can go pick up the car, take it to a gas station, fill it up, take it back, you know, with charging, you know, that now they have to potentially, you know, sit around for an hour or more, you know, waiting for it to charge. But with swappable batteries, they can just take it to a nearby swap station. Takes less than five minutes to swap, and then they go back and drop it off on the on the street somewhere where another renter can pick it up. So it it makes perfect sense for this kind of use case where you don't necessarily need the absolute maximum amount of range, but you want it. You want maximum uptime. You don't. You don't want the car sitting around, unusable for any extended period of time. So, so Teslas are are becoming big for Uber drivers in in Detroit. Believe it mm -hmm. or not, and I've I've talked to a number of them while I've been charging my my um, whatever I'm driving for the week, and and they are really not sure how to feel about it because they're spending a lot of time at the charging station. You know, when they could be out driving people and making more money. So in a case like just for Uber, say for example, or Lyft, it could make it could make perfect sense. Yeah, and this is, you're not driving, you're not making money. 
Right. And this is this is the same problem that uh, that Hertz had that they talked about in their Q3 earnings. You know, they've they've over the last couple of years, they bought thirty five thousand Teslas and fifteen thousand um, uh, Polestar twos that they put in their fleet. And and they have plans to buy, you know, many thousands more. You know, they over the you know the rest of the decade, they they would ultimately like to get almost their entire fleet to be electric. But um, the you know one of the many problems that they've had, in addition to things like you know very high repair costs for the Teslas, is the charging. You know, with their gas-powered vehicles um, at busy locations like airports. You know, when you go when you go to a Hertz outlet or Avis or Budget, you know, at an airport at a major airport. When cars come in, they're usually turning those cars, you know, cleaning them, making sure they're gassed up, you know, checking them out. And they're going back out with another renter in 20 to 30 minutes, which with an EV, if a customer brings it back uncharged, you know, now it's sitting around potentially for, you know, a couple of hours or more. So I was one of those customers who got a Hertz Tesla, and I will I will tell you the penalty for not bringing it back fully charged. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was way higher than if you don't bring back a gas vehicle fully below. You know, fully. right? And that's that's because it, you know the the cost to Hertz is not just you know the cost of the electricity, but the lost cost you know the time that they can't rent that car. So I stopped at a Tesla you know yeah. station on my way back to the airport. It was not a big deal. Right. And, and, you know, if there is a station nearby, then, then that's fine. But, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're renting, you know, if you're, if you're not, if you're not used to driving an EV and you don't plan for an extra half hour, you know, or 40 minutes to, to charge it, um, you know, and you're in a hurry, you know, you just go drop it off. Or if there's no charging station nearby, uh, nearby the airport. And this is one of the, the problems that Hertz also has is they don't, necessarily have the charging infrastructure at a lot of their their sites and so you know they're having to send staff out with the cars to public charging stations to charge them so they're paying for those people to sit around and wait while the cars charge so you know if they had you know something like battery swapping that they could potentially be turning cars around a lot faster yeah, no it you know it sucks because they used to be able to get those those EVs cheaper and after that uh that call now they're they're more expensive than the cheaper car because you could get them like on a deal because mm-hmm. I would I could get a Tesla because uh, we're uh, I in um, SAE's International's headquarters is in near Pittsburgh so I could fly in get a hurt get a get a Tesla and then I could charge it at work because we have a charge point at work <laughs> yeah so I was like Wee! so it was like free like it was like free well I mean it wasn't free but you know the company still pays for it but they're paying less than if I like you know rent a rent a gas car. I just could show up every morning and I plug in the Tesla and then I take it to back to, to Hertz. And he, I think you have to be at 80%. So the last day I just, you know, charge it to a hundred and at the end of the day, I'm done. Yeah. But not anymore. Boo. All right. Um, let's stick with Stellantis for a minute. Um, the, um, the Chrysler 300, one of the, uh, the last of the classic American big sedans, even though it's built on a German design platform. Um, is reaching the end of the road. Uh, this week, uh, Chrysler built the last of the 300 C's, which is a special edition, uh, version that they, they launched earlier this year, uh, with, uh, with a 485 horsepower Hemi V8. Um, and then in sometime in the next couple of weeks, you know, probably right before Christmas, uh, when they, when they shut down for the Christmas break, 
Um, they will be building the last Chrysler 300 of any kind, or at least, you know, of the this generation of 300s. Um, so it's the end of the road for the 300. Uh, what, do you, what do you two think about the 300? Bring back the Magnum. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think about the 300. That model is incredibly popular in Detroit. You know, it I live keeps in, going. in Detroit and I am, I am just, I am, I don't know what people are going to drive in Detroit because I would say <laughs> half of the cars I see in my neighborhood are, are 300s. It's just the most popular model. And I'm thinking, and they're not, so, you know, Detroit people are sort of us big three centric. So I'm thinking, what else is there, you know, from, from Chrysler Ford or, or um, GM that they're going to drive. I guess they're going to have to switch to Cadillacs, the, the one Cadillac sedan that's left. Well, the only, the only other Chrysler model still in production is the, is the Pacifica. Yeah. Yeah. Um, minivan. And there's supposed lovely. to be, there's supposed to be a bunch more new Chryslers, you know, electric Chryslers coming starting in 2025. But, and for now, all I got is the Pacifica <laughs> and, um, and there's nothing else really like the 300. Um, you know, and of course the, the charger is also going away, uh, this, the end of this month, um, there, there's not really any other large, you know, traditional American sedans. It's big, bah. Yeah. yeah. No, that thing, that thing just keeps going. It's never. I, I, I figured they would just keep. They would just keep making them until the very last day. And then there's still be a guy like at 2 a.m. making like four more. I got to make this last four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that last day is coming up pretty soon. So. No, well, no and you more. don't have it down as, as one of the stories we're talking about, but, you know, they also announced that they're killing the Renegade this week. Oh, yeah. They, they actually announced it. So I, I take complete credit for that because last week I talked about how great the Renegade was. Oh, that I so drove. it's your fault. And the exact same thing oh. happened with the Chevy Bolt. The exact same thing. I had I did a review of the Chevy Bolt, and they killed it the next hey, day. What did you talk about this week? Before Everyone go out and buy this before uh, Tanya kills. Tanya, so, uh, I know, Tanya's the killing Civic, spree. The, the, the Toyota Sequoia the and the Honda Civic. Oh, no, I think those – actually, those are fine. Those are okay. <laughs> but fine. I just think it's – you know, I, I went on and on last week about how great the Renegade was, and then press release comes out like three days later. We're killing it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I actually like the Renegade, um, and uh, you know, for for a small crossover, yeah, you know, it's it's actually pretty capable off road as well. Um, so it's a it's a shame that that one's going away. It's got a cool name, Renegade. Yeah. But I, I suspect uh, I suspect we might see a replacement in the next year or two um, that's electric. So the electric Renegade. Use the name though. Keep Renegade. Yeah. That's a good Bring name. it back. Well, I mean, they yeah. brought the, they brought the three hundred back. The three hundred was yeah. dead. And they brought it back. So this could be a temporary death. You know, it could come back as an electric. Maybe who knows? Yeah, like Lazarus, Lazarus <laughs> from the grave. <laughs> um, all right, um, Toyota. You know, we, we talked about battery swapping, but there's also battery recycling. Um, you know, once once batteries are no longer useful for swapping into a car, um, you need to dispose of them somehow. And there's, you know, there's a few companies out there that are starting to do recycling of, of lithium ion batteries. Um, Redwood materials is, is probably the best known one. It was founded by uh, JB Straubel, the former CTO of Tesla. Um, and there's also Lifecycle and, and a few others out there. Um, but one of the, one of the challenges is kind of figuring out the business model, you know, is you, you sell a car with a battery in it at, you know, when it's built 
And then when either the vehicle or the battery reaches the end of its useful life on the road, you know, there has to be a process to get that battery from the car to the recycler. And so there, you know, there's a, a bunch of companies working on this, you know, but, you know, trying to figure out the the value chain, who owns the battery at various stages of its life, who gets paid for it, you know, because when part of the reason why we recycle batteries is because there's a lot of valuable materials in there. Well, who's going to benefit from the value in those materials. And so um, Toyota announced this week that they're partnering with a company called Serba Solutions. Um, and there's a couple of others out there. There's another company I met recently called Currents uh, that's doing this, but with uh, Toyota and Serba, um, they are developing a, a logistics network to handle uh, end of life uh, batteries from hybrids, plug-in hybrids and battery electric vehicles. And right now for, you know, for Toyota, you know, there's not many end of life battery electric, bat, you know, battery electric vehicles, but there's certainly, you know, they've, they've, whole lot they, of they've been sold, selling hybrids for 25 years now. Um, and so there's many millions of these things. They've sold 6.2 million combined hybrid, hybrid and, and plug-in hybrids since 2000. And that's, that's just million. in the U S yeah. Yeah. And there's, it's about like, globally, the number is about 25 million. Um, so, oh. you know, as those vehicles reach the end of life, you know, you got to deal with those batteries. And so they're working with Serba to, uh, to set up a process for collecting those batteries and distributing them to, uh, to the various recycling facilities around the country. Yeah. It'd be interesting. So when you go and you, you, you go to buy a new car do you like, like, okay, we're going to give you this much. Is there going to be a base price based on how much, you know, battery capacity or what the size of the battery is? You're like, okay, well, you're, you have a hundred kilowatt hour battery pack. So you get, you know, 500 extra dollars in addition to whatever we'll give you for this vehicle or something, or I don't know. One more thing just to figure out. Or yeah. We'll give you anything and everyone makes money, but you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's probably more likely. Yeah. The scenario. It's yeah, a huge problem that they need to figure out. And, and, you know, I've had a number of consumers say to me, they won't buy an EV because they don't, they, you know, they're environmentalists and they say, what are they going to do with these batteries? It's a problem. They need to figure this out before I buy an EV. But there's, they can just use the internet and look up yeah. <laughs> EV recycling. There's lots of people doing it. Are they still driving gas cars? Because that's also an issue. <laughs> I well, mean, if they're yeah. riding bikes, then oh, well, then then that's then then that's a non-issue. They're just making up excuses. Yeah, um, yeah. No, t- I mean, you know, with this announcement, Toyota, you know, projects that uh, they're going to reduce their overall transportation logistics costs for battery recycling by about seventy percent. Um, you know, because what you know, when cars you know reach the end of their life, they go to a wrecking yard at some location, you know, and there'll be battery recycling plants around the country. Uh, but what you don't want to do is take a battery. Ideally, you don't want to take a battery, you know, from a car, you know, an end of life EV or hybrid in, you know, Seattle and ship it to South Carolina, which is where um, Redwood is building their next recycling plant. You know, you, you, you want to, and, and you don't want to take the batteries, you know, one onesie twosie here and there. So what some of these companies are doing is developing plans to aggregate. So, you know, when, when wreckers get um, get in an, an EV or a hybrid, they can go online, you know, and there'll be um, like there's a company called Currents 
that's developing a marketplace for this, and they're working with automakers to, you know, you can put in the VIN number of the car. It'll give you the information of the battery, the estimated value of that battery, and then the wrecker can say, yep, I'm good with that price. Um, and uh, and then they will send around a truck to pick up the batteries. And, you know, it, it'll be kind of like uh, uh, not, not so much like Amazon Prime, but, um, but there, you know, there's some other services where, you know, if you can well, actually, kind of, yeah, kind of like Prime. If you want it picked up right away, they'll give you one price for it. But if you'll hang on to that battery for a week or two until you get some more batteries. They'll give you a $3 digital credit. <laughs> yeah. Or I mean, they'll, they'll give them more money for that battery. Um, so at, because then they can get a whole truckload of batteries together instead of taking them one at a time. So it save, saves a lot of energy and, and costs that way. All right. <clears throat> um Sticking with still with EVs, um, Honda is one of the few automakers that actually is planning to be at CES next month. Uh, most of the other automakers have pulled out. Hyundai and Kia are going to be there. Mercedes-Benz is going to be there. Um, and so is Honda. Um, and Honda um, is going to be showing off at least concept versions of their, their new EVs uh, that are coming in 2026. Uh, and they released a teaser image uh, this week. Um, it's, uh, it's quite a, quite a departure. <laughs> I mean, we see kind of the front end of this car. And if this is actually what, what the new Hondas or Honda EVs are going to look like, it's, uh, quite a, quite different from what we've seen up till now from Honda. Look out Cybertruck. This is as weird as you are. Yeah. It'll last 100 years. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it, it's kind of a, it's, it's wedge shaped. Um, you know, kind of a flat front. Um, it doesn't look like anything we've seen from Honda up until now. That's for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll see how far is these are concepts or or design. You know, experiments or it, you know the the concept car is such a you know the the variety of what they can be. You're like, well, what's it? Oh, this is just an idea we had. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean. Like, you're you know, like, oh, this is like this is like near like you know in some places they're like oh, this is like eighty percent production. Well, yeah, I mean at CES this year, Stellantis showed off the uh, the Ram Revolution concept and told us, yeah, this is pretty close to what they our electric Ram pickup is going to look like. And then three months later, they showed us the Ram fifteen hundred Rev, and apart from the the tuning fork headlights, it looked almost nothing like the concept. Well, they were pointing. You just weren't paying attention. This is exact. This is what we're gonna do. Yeah, <laughs> they're just pointing right at the line. There you go. These are. Yeah. This is pretty much exactly what we're doing. Yeah, this is what the headlights are gonna look like. The rest you can forget about. The the headlights will look like yeah. And so, you know, the, Honda has a, a current design language um, that they're doing, which. You, so we'll see if these are. You know, they're talking about like thirty EVs by twenty thirty twenty forty. Well, you know, one of those, you know, one, of those I mean, one of those decades. Yeah, <laughs> Honda's current design language. You know, they're they're in they're in the part of their cycle. They tend to oscillate back and forth between really interesting designs and kind of boring designs. Not bad, just boring. And right now they're kind of in the boring phase. So you know, there looks like you know maybe they're going a little more daring with this next generation. They're going to have more Type R stabby cars coming. Yeah, sharp <laughs> edges, giant wings. <laughs> terrifying the olds all right 
Um, I was watching some YouTube videos the other day and something interesting popped up when, 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 when one of the videos finished, um, that looked fascinating. Uh, it was about the build of something called the platysy. So this, uh, this guy has got a YouTube channel, um, basically took, um, a model S plaid that he had bought off of Copart, you know, that it had been in a crash and had been totaled, but the, the powertrain and the battery were still functional and, um, put a Honda Odyssey body on it <laughs> because, you know, the, the Odyssey has a similar wheelbase and a similar width to the model S. And so he said, what the hell? Let's make a, a you know, a, a Honda Odyssey plaid. And it uh, actually came out pretty interesting. Well, the, the minivans are awesome. More people should have minivans. So the fact that you can now have a, I guess if you're, if you're rich, you can buy an old plaid and throw a minivan on top of it and have the best of both worlds, I guess. Although, you know, scaring the children. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone strap in. Oh, gosh, Dad, why? <laughs> yeah, three-motor three, three electric uh, Honda Odyssey. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in for it. It's would... it, the the video is pretty long. It's about an hour, but it go, goes through the whole process. You know, he actually ended up buying um, a couple of you know, in addition to the the plaid that they used as the donor car for this, bought another one that had been crashed and and largely destroyed to use to prototype it all. I mean, they they went through you know a lot of work to make sure that this would actually uh, that this, everything could actually fit together and figure out what they had to modify. Um, but you know, at, at the end, you know, they they have a, a, what looks like a relatively standard Odyssey, aside from the bigger wheels and tires, um, and uh, you know, um, some mismatched uh, body panels uh, that you know, came from various donor vehicles at the wrecking yard. It's um, called a sleeper. That's what that's for. <laughs> yeah, it certainly doesn't look like uh, like anything that offers this kind of performance level. I remember in the '90s, everyone people were buying like Astro, like the Chevy Astro. Oh yeah, they would lower them and they put big stereos in them. Like that was that was that was the heyday of the minivan. And now, it's just me and like you know other automotive drivers be like, you should get a minivan. I, I I was looking at a text thread I had with a cousin, who who like two years ago was like, I need a new car. I'm like, well, you have the kids, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, just get a minivan, get an Odyssey, get. A, get a, a sienna a, a pacifica she's like no they're not cool no no i'm like no no minivans are awesome it's way better than suv and i'm trying to explain I'm like imagine you're carrying your child and you're walking up to your vehicle you can just tap a button and the door slides open and then you have this huge space this huge opening in order to put your child in the car seat do all the stuff toss all the things hit the button and close not it. have to reach up in the air to, or you, you can know. just push it's the button so and it opens practical. Yeah. and they're and then, so comfortable i mean the position yeah, even for me is with no kids i loved that vehicle having that we rent, we rent them all the time they're awesome i mean we go on road trips wonderful vehicle we go on road trips with the dogs we're like well let's just get a pacifica yeah, you know, we just rent a minivan and we'll get a Pacifica run there with like a Sienna hybrid. And we're like, yeah, it's nice. It's comfortable. They're plenty powerful because we end up having to go up in the mountains. And, you know, it's fine. The dogs are happy. We have room for stuff. And, you know, if I do band things on that trip, then there's room for band things. No, the minivans are awesome. So much room for activities. That's All true. right. Um, so 
uh, Tanya, this week you went to uh, Silicon Valley. You're out in, uh, in Robbie's it, neck of the woods. Why don't you yeah. tell us why you were there? Uh, in lieu of CES, I mean, BMW is still going to be at CES, but in a very small way. They they had a bunch of auto journalists and, and other folks there for... Um, it was their 25th anniversary of their tech center in 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 California and they showed us it was the it was the North American premiere of the new Vision Noia Classa which they're definitely going to make it's a concept vehicle now but it is coming in 2025 and they are for sure making it because they gave us Hot Wheels versions Ooh, okay hold on do, I right? went all the way to Germany to see that thing and I didn't get any toys I, now, yeah. now I'm angry. I'm going to send yeah. an, an, an I, email I to Alex, right? And, and they didn't have any toys there either. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sending a, Tom, Alex, and <laughs> they're all getting angry emails from us. Yeah. We I, also, toys. I also got a uh, 25th anniversary pin that weighs about a pound. They gave <laughs> just like your shirt is like, uh. and my yeah, my lapel is like, uh, I I can't actually wear it. But um, yeah, they they we got so we got to see it the North American and we got to open the doors and actually we couldn't sit in it but we were able to like kind of lean into it and take pictures which I guess you guys couldn't do in in Germany so I feel slightly special and then um, the day before that we we went to different workshops so they they split us into small groups and we went to a workshop on intelligent personal assistant which they talked about their new technology for um they showed us basically what the new the new mini is going to have next year which is an improved version of their current intelligent personal assistant they're bringing this very animated cool uh, character it's a dog named spike Spike. yeah yeah so we got to meet spike which was cool and then they had um an ar vr journey that was another workshop where they showed us sort of the evolution of how the ar vr glasses have changed and and how they're going to change going forward um, they're working with Meta. We went out to the to uh, Levi Stadium and got to ride in a car wearing these VR um, glasses that they've developed with Meta to sit in the back seat and be able to, you know, do different things. You can you can take a call, and it, it's just it's hard to even explain. And and then we did another workshop, and I'm not going to keep blabbering on here. The, the last workshop was the Innovation Mindset Workshop, which was like the really futuristic stuff, including um, a new scent experience called huh. atmospheres. It's, it's a, it's, it's still in testing phase, but it's, it's, and then we got to go to leave. Smellorama in your new BMW. Well, like, it's, it's like different. the Mercedes. No, it's not like any other. I mean, they, they currently have a scent module that you can buy and put into. Put in the thing, yeah. This is actually interesting in that it's controlled by part of like what you're doing so if you're leaving work and it it gets to know you so if it knows you're leaving work it's going to give you a special kind of scent if it knows you're going to work it's going to give you a special scent package if you're going to the gym say for you know a pilates class if you're going to a pilates studio it's going to prepare you for that pilates class by giving you a certain sense a scent experience aromatherapy for your drive and it's it's GPS based, which is new. I mean, that's not something oh, I'm getting any other automaker has done so far. So it was now, interesting. My, my question just, is, are they going to require a subscription to get these scent cartridges? Oh, they're not that far. <laughs> they're not they're not that close to it. They they I'm sure I, they will. Yeah, I I would bet they'll at least they'll, they'll at least try that. Yeah. It'll, it'll be like subscribing to ink cartridges for your printer. Yeah, HP. 
Well, and I did get to do a an hour long session with uh, a roundtable with Stephen Durek, who's their um, SVP of connected connected company development for BMW, and I I did put him on the spot about um, you know how GM is getting rid of Apple CarPlay and and Android Auto, and he said no, we're not doing that. We want to we want our our customers to have choice. So that was interesting. No, we're not doing that. Yeah, he said it's important say, for companies say, to have choice. They, they say that now, but my guess is within five years, they will have a very different attitude. They have to like better. They have to be better than Apple CarPlay. Then you say, you know what? It's so much better than Apple CarPlay at that this point. Is exactly and you get rid of it. What he that's, said. That's he how said you do it. They're making their native system so good that people aren't going to want the the alternative. So that's their goal. I mean, look, they'll keep offering both, but eventually nobody will be wanting the Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. So then they'll switch to the native system. GM, yeah, GM's point. doing it the cold turkey way. Mm-hmm. And stay tuned um, on Wednesday. I'll have a video walkthrough on the Blazer uh, for patrons. If you're if you're a Patreon supporter of the show, you can already see that video. And then on Wednesday, um, everybody else will be able to get a look at that. You can check it out. Cool. All right. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. Um, to, oh wait, um, I had there was there was a, an email, a listener email. I, I completely forgot to put it in here. Um, questions. So many questions. Uh, What's the deal with Robbie? And then, and then you say, "Oh, we don't know." Oh, here we go. Um, from uh, from Lawrence uh, Lucero. Let me just make sure we didn't do this one last week. Why do I feel like we already did this one? No, we didn't. Okay, so this is from uh, from Lawrence uh, Lucero. Uh, Lawrence in the desert, more specifically, uh, who drives a, a 2020 Civic Si. Save the manuals. Uh, says, hello, gang. Uh, I wanted to get your opinion on something I do not understand. In reference to your story about guidance to avoid bedazzling the steering wheel, that's something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I wonder why driving instruction and schools do not expose new drivers to airbag deployment. And I mean a real in-person deployment, not just a video. I doubt that many new drivers uh, would consider installing covers on the airbag or sitting so close to them if they were exposed to that. Why would why should they wait until an accident to learn the potential for harm, even from this life-saving device? I see many drivers and passengers that seem to be oblivious to how violent they can be when they sit up, sit super close, or putting their feet on the dash. Uh, there are many uh, videos of pranks using airbag inflators that launch people into the air. It may even be an opportunity for a warning label on the steering wheel that could help save new drivers from ever going through that. With so many drivers being killed, I wonder why there does not seem to be any push to help teach young drivers without waiting until it's too late. Anyway, just wanted your take. Thanks for the content, and uh, just ordered a shirt. Thanks, Lawrence. And uh, if, if, for those of you that, that want uh, a, a wheel bearing shirt, uh, shop.wheelbearings.media. It'll take you to our store on Cotton Bureau, um, and uh, got a couple of different designs, uh, lots of colors available. So uh, go go get your uh, your um your wheel bearing swag so airbags uh and driver training what do you think i, I think, think it's darwin and i think i think the dumb people are killed by their airbags <laughs> and we should go on because it, it you know i mean how well, much is it darwin if you don't understand how it works if you if, if you're ignorant because no one's actually taught you how it works yeah so i mean let, let's assume you know you you haven't 
you haven't bedazzled your your steering wheel. Um, you, know, the, you just happen to be sitting. The, the feet on the dash thing. I don't yeah. think people understand like what's going to happen if there's a, if there's an accident. I think they're like, oh, I'm just putting my feet up. Da, da, da. You're just yeah. like, or putting or driving with your hand on top of the steering wheel. Like you don't understand what's going to happen if the airbag goes off. They're teaching drive or kids now in, in driving school to drive at nine and three, you know, yeah, you the, the, or even like, below, like um, whatever that yeah. is, seven and five. It used to be 10 and two. And so they they are teaching them to keep their hands down below and, and they're telling them why. But are they giving them the contextual issues? I, I, I think there's 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 an opportunity to, to at least. I, I I mean doing it in real life. I don't. I mean that's going to be expensive. And schools it's don't really have expensive any, to deploy. Schools don't have schools don't have money. I think it yeah. has to be a video. But you have to have a dummy, like the little dummy with his little feet up, and then you just blow the air back, and you see the little leg just snap off, or with your hand up on top. You know all the the weird little things that you don't think about because they're like, okay, you got to be nine and three. Uh, all right, fine. And you know that that changed. I think they changed that like ten years ago or whatever. And now they're you know seven to five below. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there, you know, you're just telling, this is why, and this is what's going to happen. But if you show them versus telling them, I think there's, there's going to be a, a bigger impact. So maybe we should make a video. Like yeah, we should make you know, a video. Wheel bearings should so we'll, produce this video. We'll, we'll, and, and we'll go borrow it. a few cars from automakers and you know, crash them into walls and, you know, set up our, uh, our, um, uh, GoPros in there. So you can yeah. see what happens to us when, uh, put them all to slow motion. Yeah. They um, I went to when that BMW thing. I also went to the recycling center over in Germany, and they let me blow all the airbags in a car with a little thing. <laughs> and it's like, it's not a like a it's like they're it's in a room, and like I was like twenty feet away from the car, and everyone you, had to get away from the car, and we had earplugs and like the goggles, a hat, and I had like a little control module, and it's it's not something you could just like, hey, let's just do this, but. And, the, you know, BMW, Volvo, you know, some automaker has an opportunity to sort of show off because um, they have all the equipment and they have all the cameras and they have all the things they could do this and they could they could create that, throw it on YouTube and then schools uh, could 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 do could it. And, then, you know, it. Yeah. there's also like, you know, the, the way school uh, driving driver training has has sort of evolved into it's less it's there's fewer and fewer hours of driver training. I mean, when I was in school, I had to take a whole semester of driver training. Like the whole, like that was a whole class. And then I found out later, they don't do that anymore. No. Just, yeah. Now they very, just, very few schools. Couple do that hours. Anymore. That's it. Couple hours. And then you, then we wonder why no one knows how to drive. I'm like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not going to teach them. Well, how come no one knows how to drive? I don't know. When we and, were young. And, and, you know, most, most young drivers have never experienced, you know, a lot of the technologies that are in vehicles like ABS, like traction control, uh, stability control. Um, you know, or, or, uh, you know, a lot of the safety equipment, you know, when, when my kids were, were younger and they were learning to drive, I actually did, um, uh, take them out into an empty parking lot, you know, as soon as, as soon as we had snow on the ground and, you know, had them try out, you know, slam on the brakes, you know, so they could experience what ABS feels like. You know, don't pump I, your brakes. Do exactly. not pump your brakes. Do not, do not pump your, your brakes. On the brake pedal. Yeah, just People press. still like teaching that, the pumping of the brakes. It's like, oh my God, we're so yeah. far away from that. And Unless you know, driving pull, like a 1980 car. Yeah, pull, pulling the bar parking brake to practice some skid control. You know, so I, I'd pull the parking brake, you know, at, at random and, you know, have them respond so that they, they, they were used to what it feels like. Very few, unless you send your kids to, 
um, you know, like a, a, a racing school, you know, where most most racing schools actually do have young driver, specific young driver programs as well. BMW does. They BMW does, you know, uh, Bondurant, all, all these, you know, and they use skid cars to to do that. So you actually get to experience that stuff. But um, something like airbag deployment, unfortunately, the the nature of how that works, you know, it's, you know, it, it's basically one and done. Um, you know, when an air, once an airbag goes off, you have to throw away the whole mechanism. Now you could simulate some of that. It's not going to be the same, but um, the, you know, to, to cycle every kid in the class through that. So they experience it firsthand. First of all, you'd have to have some kind of mechanism, you know, to give you the deceleration. So you experience to really experience what it feels like rather than just sitting there in a seat in a stationary seat with an airbag going off in front of you, that's not going to give you the full effect. So unfortunately, you know, it's, it's not really a practical alternative, you know, ideally, you know, if you could, if you could even take kids to a place where they do crash tests so they could actually see it in person, um, you know, that gives you a lot more of the impact of the sound, uh, you know, and how violent, uh, an occurrence this is when, uh, when the vehicle crashes and when, when the airbags go off. Um, but you know, there's not, there's not that many places where you can, where you can, where you can do that practically. And they don't, they don't do, you know, they don't cycle through that many, uh, tests, um, where, where you could get all young drivers through that. So unfortunately we're, we're going to have to rely on videos, but we do, we do need to do a better job of educating people of things like don't, you know, on any vehicle that's got a passenger side airbag, Really, actually, even if it doesn't have an airbag, don't put your feet up on the dash. Don't put your feet yeah. up. On the dash. If 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 there's a crash, airbag or not, you know your feet, your legs gonna are ha- going to get mangled. You're going to have a bad time. Is what's yes. going to happen? Yeah. No. It's. <sighs> um, and I think that was it. Uh, let's see. Did we? Uh, okay. Yeah. That's 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 all we've got for right now. Uh, for questions, so I uh, I was in uh, California this week to drive the uh, the Chevy Blazer EV, and we'll talk about that next week. But I did get a chance to talk with um, uh, Derek um, Derek Sequera, who is the head of product for consumers for GM Energy, which is the business unit of GM that's doing all the stuff around charging. And uh, so we had a good conversation about what GM's doing uh, around charging. Talked about the EVgo partnership, uh, what they're doing with uh, Pilot, uh, and GM just had some announcements this week with that. So um, they a couple of years back they announced they were going to do 3,200 uh, urban DC fast charging locations uh, with EVgo, putting them in places like grocery stores and shopping centers. Uh, they've already got about a thousand of those deployed. Uh, and they're moving moving quickly to get the rest of them. Um, they've also got a program a partnership with uh, pilot travel centers, um, so truck stops, putting in um, uh, 500 of those at, uh, at pilot truck stops, and those will be. Uh, they've got the first, um, but uh, a dozen or so now, and by the end of the month, they will have 25 of those in place. And the nice thing about those is they're putting in through chargers on those so if Yay. you are using an ev to tow a trailer 
um, and you're on a road trip, you want to charge, you'll want to look for um, these pilot travel centers that will have pull-through charging facilities there. Um, and we also talked about what they're doing around home charging and the the joint venture that was announced a couple months ago with a bunch of other automakers. So have a listen to that interview um, right after this, and um, we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. 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 Hey, everybody, it's Sam. Uh, this week, I was in California to drive the new Chevy Blazer EV, and I can't tell you about that yet. It's still under embargo. But I did have a chance to chat with Derek Sequera, who is the director of product for residential at GM Energy. And we talked uh, talked for about 20 minutes or so about charging. And so um, have a listen. I think uh, you'll find some learn some interesting stuff in here about what GM is doing. All right, so Derek, um, GM Energy is something that most consumers probably aren't familiar with yet. Um, and charging, as we've heard, is a, a major issue. You know, I think the, the, the two biggest barriers to EV adoption are affordability of the vehicles and charging. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've certainly heard a lot of bad stuff about a lot of the public charging out there. Mm-hmm. But what is GM doing to address the challenge of charging for EV customers. Absolutely. So at GM Energy, you know, we're pioneering solutions for all of our customers, whether they're at home, public, or uh, commercial. Our goal is to really take away some of those barriers that you mentioned when it comes to charging, range, anxiety. And it all starts with education, right? So education is really the first building block that we're working on. And for that, we are building out tools. So EV Live, I think you're familiar with. Uh-huh is something that we've got out there to get some of those EV intenders, those that have the or EV curious curiosities or are getting the wrong information from social media or my grandmother or whatever the case may be. So EV lives are first line of defense, right? To get the information out there. Also, we want to make sure we're working with our dealers to build up the education piece as well. So we've got some really great programs that our dealers are engaging with, including EV Live, to help bridge the education gap. So that's one piece. Beyond that, it's making sure we've got great solutions for the home. Because as we most as most of us know, the majority of charging in an electric vehicle is likely going to happen at home, over 80%. So we are building out not only a great product ecosystem for the home, starting with chargers that put energy into your vehicle. But very shortly, we'll be introducing our new GM Energy home and home ecosystem that will introduce bi-directional charging to pull energy out of your vehicle. So that's the way we're tackling it on the home side. So you mentioned public charging. That's something that customers who don't have access to good home charging or are power users, as we say, are going to have to encounter. Well, and, and especially if we look forward, I mean, today, you know, the reality is, you know, new vehicle sales are only a small portion of total vehicle sales. Oh, yeah. We sell a lot more used vehicles every year mm-hmm. than new vehicles. And for new vehicle customers and people buying, purchasing new vehicles, um, yeah, most of them are, you know, going to have access to home charging. And, you know, they're going to do most of their charging at home, as you said, 80% or more. Mm-hmm. Once you once these vehicles get into the used vehicle market a few years from now, 
you have a much higher percentage of people that are renters or apartments sure. or condos, mm-hmm. and they're going to be reliant on that public charging. Right. And that's that's where we've got the real problem. It is. Uh, multi-unit dwellings are a huge problem. On the public charging side, though, what we want to do is make that public charging very accessible to the customer. So in your My Chevrolet app, when you get that used Bolt or that used Blazer, you've got the ability to get in there and access over 164,000 level two and DC fast chargers across the United States and Canada. The bonus there is through our OnStar system, you have the ability to take the data from the vehicle, so state of charge, and use that in your route planning so that you can get from Detroit to Chicago on the appropriate state of charge, but it'll also lead you to the right chargers along the way. So 164,000 is where we start, but we're continuing to invest in building chargers as well, because you know what? For the longest time, it was, hey, somebody else is going to deal with that. But at GM, we believe we're part of the solution. So we've announced our EVgo uh, build in the metro areas, our pilot Flying J project, which we just updated everybody on yesterday to get 25 of these completed by the end of the year and then continue the progress throughout 2025 and beyond. We also are opening up our the supercharger network to our customers early in Q1, which adds another 15,000. So if you're keeping track, we're starting to get in some big numbers. Add that to the 30,000 with our joint venture with the seven other with the seven OEMs and now you're really talking choice for mm-hmm. customers to get to public charge. So that's how we're addressing availability beyond that is reliability right so and that was that's my next question you mentioned what is what is what how is gm you know with with the various partners you have whether it's evgo and with pilot and and the the joint venture what what are some specifics that you're going to do to ensure that all these tens of thousands of chargers that are being deployed are actually working when customers get to them yeah so in every project that we are investing in we're putting in some very stringent service level agreements to get really high uptime. And working with these providers to make sure that our vehicles are compatible with their hardware and that we're doing integration together to really make sure that if there is a problem, we don't want it to be the vehicle, we don't want it to be the hardware, you know, you want it to be something like, hey, maybe the someone drove over the charger. Those are the, the small things that eventually we're going to have to figure out how to fix, but we want to rule out the pieces that are within our control. And it's super important for us to make sure that we're holding each other accountable to these high uptimes. So one of the, one of the challenges with using public charging today mm. is, uh, you know, oftentimes you will look in the app mm-hmm. or look in OnStar, or Google Maps, whatever, and tell you where there's a charger and you get there and it's in the back corner of you know some dark corner behind a, a mall yeah. you know if you get there in the evening it might be closed mm-hmm. um there's no canopy there's no signage uh you know when you drive down the road there's a 30 foot high sign for every gas right. station you know exactly where those gas pumps are mm-hmm. actually finding those chargers um can often be difficult and the experience when you're there i mean if you're sitting there for 20 30 40 minutes mm-hmm. to charge you know it's there's there's often nothing to do, and so what yeah. you know how 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 are you addressing that challenge? Yeah. So in the projects that we're investing in, let's take the pilot Flying J project. 
we are looking at ways to make that experience much better. So by signing up with a partner like Pilot Flying J, you have amenities that are there, amenities that are great, that truckers, drivers are using all the time. And now as an EV driver, you have access to that. On top of it, we are building out good experience for customers by investing in things like canopies Mm -hmm. to protect you when the snow's out, when it's pouring rain, so that you don't need to worry about that when you're out in public charging. So that's the first example. But as we look to some of these new projects, we'll continue to iterate on that and look for better ways to make charging more convenient and more friendly for customers. And the um, the, the, the first uh, project, uh, the Urban Charging Network with EVGO, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, what, 3,250 yep. plant chargers that are part of that? And is what, about 1,000 of those are now deployed? Yeah, a little over 1,000. And um, where where are those being deployed? So we're deploying those in metro areas across the United States. Uh, some sh- would be in shopping plazas and places where we know that customers are going to co- congregate to. They have time to go and charge, maybe stop in, get their groceries, and continue on their way. And will those have some of the, I mean, uh, well, obviously they've got amenities like shopping and things yeah. like that. But will they, you know, also have things like canopies as well associated with them? For the first batch, you know, we've um, we've, we've built them out. I think we'll continue to look for opportunities mm-hmm. in some of the future builds to have those. But uh, as of right now, we're going to sort of continue on the deployment as is. Okay. Now, yeah, we're here to, to drive the new Blazer EV, mm-hmm. but sitting over here is a, is a Silverado EV. Yes. And yes. one of the reasons why people buy those big trucks is for towing. Yeah. And um, anybody that has tried to charge uh, an electric truck mm-hmm. with a trailer hooked up uh, has found uh, a rather challenging experience. Yes. So. You can't back in. Yeah. So in these investments, we are also looking at amenities like pull-through charging mm-hmm. so that you can have the confidence that I'm out on that road trip. I'm going to that pilot flying J and I can fit. Like make, making sure that at least some of those chargers are set up that way so yeah. you can do that. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the last thing you want to do is, you know, every couple of hundred miles, pull in somewhere, unhook your trailer, go charge your truck, then hook the trailer back up, then do that all again three hours later. It's going to lead to poor experiences in electric vehicles, which we know by driving it is not a poor experience. It's actually a pretty amazing Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it, driving an EV is a great experience. Owning one, sometimes not so much, mm-hmm. yeah, because and and lar- and primarily because of the, the the user experience around charging. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's, it's good to hear that that's something that that you're uh, addressing. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier Tesla having access to, or well, you mentioned the supercharger network. Yes. I don't think you actually used the word Tesla. You mentioned the supercharger network, mm-hmm. and um, early in the in 2024, um, that will start rolling out. Uh, so presumably. You'll have uh, an OTA software update to the vehicles to that are out there to enable that, and yeah, and also an adapter. We haven't, uh, you know, put forth our strategy yet. <coughs> our plan is in early 2024 to give everyone an update along with how we're going to get adapters into hands of customers who want to be able to access those networks. Okay, and um, for all of the thousands of chargers that you're also investing in. Um, at some point, presumably, um, the ones that are out there will get updated with NACS connectors and new ones will 
we built with both NACS and CCS. So as we work through the projects, you know, we're going to continue to build out CCS. And as our portfolio starts to switch over, we'll look at opportunities to add NACS chargers, chargers because we want to make sure we've got charging infrastructure out there that's accessible to everybody, whether they bought an EV today or they're going to buy one in 2025. Okay. So a um, lot, lot of great progress being made. And I think certainly targeting the right things, I think, yeah. uh, to, to improve that experience for EV owners. So um, I'm gl- glad to see this happening. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the GM home energy, GM sure. energy home stuff and okay. what you're doing there. Yeah, so with GM energy home, as I mentioned earlier, we are trying to unlock more value for the customer at their moment of electrification. And by introducing concepts such as bi-directional charging, you can take the stored energy in that Blazer EV, that 102 kilowatt hour battery, and utilize it for what you need as a customer. And the first use case that we want to make sure we've got available is a vehicle to hull. So providing resiliency to customers in the event of a blackout and outage. Because we know there's some jurisdictions around here in the U.S. where the grid is is fragile, right? It's old infrastructure. Um, We're here in California. Yeah, and it hasn't been upgraded. So why can't the customer take the power within their vehicle and use that when they need it the most? So we're building a product ecosystem to support that. It all starts with our first bi-directional charger, PowerShift. The PowerShift gives you 19.2 kilowatts of AC charging. So you can take advantage of the fastest AC charging we offer, like on the Silverado EV, but then have the ability to harness 9.6 kilowatts of DC directly from the battery. And with our available equipment, which we call the enablement bundle, and bi-directional inverter, a home hub, and a dark start battery, you can now power your home with that. So this to us is really where we want to bring our GM energy portfolio in the future. But it doesn't stop there. There are customers who are super interested in owning their own energy destiny. They want to get off the grid. So we've also got options that allow more flexible energy generation or storage. So you can purchase a stationary energy storage battery, which is our GM Energy Altium, uh, our GM Energy Power Bank, or connect to solar with one of our preferred providers. So you have the ability to take the energy in the vehicle, you have the ability to take the energy from the sun, and you can do it all with GM Energy. And I know uh, you talked about the, the Silverado having that capability. Mm-hmm. Will the Blazer have that bi-directional capability as well? Uh, we've announced that all of our Altium vehicles okay. by 2026 will have vehicle-to-home capability with the Blazer and the rest of the family to come next year. Okay, so right now, if you buy a Blazer, it doesn't have that capability, but it, at some we point... We unlocked with, the capability. Oh, okay, yeah. so the hardware is there. <laughs> But yeah, you just haven't turned it on yet. Yeah. Okay. With the available hardware, offboard hardware, okay. you've got that capability. Okay. okay. So, so people buy a Blazer now; they will at some point have that av- available to them. If Correct. They want. Okay. Yes. Um, all right. And um, 
I know one of the, the projects that's previously been announced was a partnership with PG&E here in California yeah. uh, to pilot um, some remote management of sure. charging mm-hmm. using that bi-directional capability uh, and ma- having it being managed from at the utility level. Mm-hmm. Um, how's that project going along? Yeah, we're continuing to work with PG&E. Um, you know, we'll have more to announce as we get closer to having a, an example to, to show everyone, but uh, it is progressing. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Anything else on charging or energy uh, that uh, we haven't talked about? That uh, No, just need tend to, well, to wrap it up. It all starts with education, right? Yeah. That's the... That's the basis. That, actually, that, before, before we finish up, uh, I, yeah, I forgot about that. I wanted to get back to that education part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about that at the beginning of this conversation um, because I think education really is important, especially for first-time EV buyers sure. because the, the way you use an EV and charge an EV is fundamentally different from a gas vehicle. Yeah. You, you, know, you pull up to a gas pump. doesn't matter if your tank is bone dry or three-quarters full. You stick the nozzle in there. And it pumps the same fuel. It pumps the fuel at the same rate until it's full. Sure, um, it's different. It's fundamentally different with an EV. You know, char- the lower state of charge charges faster. Eventually, ramps down to protect the battery. Sure. And so, is that part of what you're teaching both your your retail partners, dealers, as well as the customers? It is. We want to make sure we highlight the different types of charging, whether it's level one charging on your 120 volt outlet, level two, 240, where you're getting a consistent power into the vehicle or to what you mentioned with DC fast charging, help to understand the different power levels and the capability of the vehicle plus the capability of the equipment that you're charging at. So that is all part of the education because if you don't understand that, it could lead to some frustrating experiences. Yeah. All right. So final wrap up. Yeah. So at GM Energy, we are committed to providing solutions for every customer and it all begins with this product ecosystem that we're building plus our work on public charging to make sure that we've got those great solutions accessible for all of our customers all right thank you very much derek thanks sam always a pleasure thank you thank you support for this podcast and the following message come from corient corient provides wealth management services centered around you they focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.